Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweizer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague Eric Eggers, who's both the co-host of this show and vice president of the Government Accountability Institute. He authored a terrific book in 2018 called Voter Fraud. Now, I say I'm joined by, because we're both here on the podcast but Eric's the only one in the office today. I'm actually traveling. Eric, how are things back at the home base? Uh, I wouldn't know. I'm actually at the beach today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm at the <laughs> office and uh, everyone appears to be you know, present and on task despite the absence of our fearless leader. But, uh, you know, we're good. I'm, I'm actually more worried about you. Quit worrying about the oh. office. I'm worried about, you know, look, you're a number one New York Times bestselling author. You sold a bajillion copies of your last book that exposed the way that China is trying to influence things here in the United States. And I'm actually worried that you're going to be a bit of a target, right? You'll either be attacked by a foreign power or even worse, because this is a common problem now, you'll be cultivated as an asset by a foreign government. <laughs> well, you know, that is a problem. And that's actually the topic we're going to discuss today. In my case, I think the only vulnerability would be either I'd be recruited by the Swedes or by the Swiss, because I'm half Swedish and half uh, Swiss. Um, and I don't think either one of them poses the kind of threat uh, that the foreign powers are going to talk about today. And we're going to talk today about the rise of foreign agents in our nation's capital and among our leaders. Uh, and when people think of foreign agents, Eric, they often think about spies, right? That's what foreign agents are. Today, we're going to talk about the ones that uh, are, are not spies, but they're engaging in foreign influence operations in the United States on behalf of a foreign government. And they're supposed to disclose this, right? You can't steal secrets. You can't engage in espionage, but you can represent a foreign government. But you have to file under something called the Foreign Agents Registration Act, sometimes known as FARA. We're not going to talk about FARA per se today uh, because we don't want to confuse it with the poster of a certain actress I had on my wall in middle school in the 1970s. Easy, Schweitzer. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to talk today, Eric, about a, a number of really interesting cases that have, have developed over the last several weeks or months. They're often being ignored by the media, who's focused, I would argue, on sort of tangential issues. But there's some really interesting stuff going on involving a former U.S. Marine Corps general, for example. Yeah, but we should, I think, start with the idea of like, why would anybody need to hire a foreign agent, right? Or why would a foreign government need to hire 
an American citizen to represent them in Washington, D.C., either with the government or with the media or anything else. And if it helps, just think about the example of what just happened this weekend for people that pay attention to the sports world. There was just this, this rival startup golf league has been initiated and funded essentially by the government of Saudi Arabia. And it said the Saudi Arabian government's going to spend $2 billion over the next, I think, four years to pay for a number of golf events. They also, by the way, just purchased Newcastle United, the soccer club, and they're changing their jerseys to green and white. So like, it's, it's a term that's called sports washing. So they're attempting so, to- So just, just to be clear, you're suggesting this is not just because the Saudis love golf and love soccer. You're suggesting there's something else behind this. I mean, you know, I, I and anybody else with a set of eyes and brain is also suggesting this. Yeah, so um, they're essentially laundering their reputation. And I didn't even realize this, but, you know, the Saudi Arabian investment fund still being sued by families of 9-11 survivors, right? I mean, so Saudi Arabia's reputation, there's the whole, hey, we murdered a journalist kind of thing. I mean, so they got a, a bit of a, a few blemishes on the old rep. And so one of the ways that they're trying to play offense in terms of telling the story about who they are is by funding these things. And that's just an example to give our listeners a frame of reference for why somebody might hire a foreign agent because they're, you're attempting to hire somebody for much less than the $2 billion that Saudi Arabia is going to spend to tell the story of this regime as a way to help change the story, change the narrative, launder the reputation of the foreign government. That's right. And that's a great example, a great illustration, Eric, that one of the reasons you will hire uh, a foreign agent or a foreign representative in the United States as a foreign government is you want to improve your reputation. The optics, as they like to say in Washington, D.C., don't look particularly good. So at one level, you're talking about basic PR. So maybe you're going to hire a PR firm or you're going to hire a former ambassador uh, to say, okay, there are some bad things that Saudi Arabia has been involved in. There are bad things that the Chinese government, the CCP, has been involved in. But there's also nice things too. So let's talk about the nice things. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 9-11, 9-11. But check out the weather, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The weather. And look, I'm, the, the Saudis are, are can be friendly people. So, right. you know, yeah. So part of it is basically on the PR level. Uh, but then you have sort of, it's like Dante's Inferno. You have different levels that you descend to. Um, and level one, I think, would be public relations. You're, you're sponsoring sports leagues. You know, the uh, the Chinese, of course, are very much into the NBA. The NBA says nice things about China. That's another example from the sports world. That's at the PR level. But then when you go down to the next level of Dante's Inferno, you're talking about now foreign governments that want certain basic favors from the U.S. government, right? Maybe they want a trade deal. Uh, maybe they want the federal government to greenlight some technology program that's going to lead to federal dollars. Uh, but then you can go further down, Eric, and you can get to governments that have been engaged in really nasty behavior, uh, maybe sponsoring terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are looking for ways to get sanctions or restricted uh, restrictions that have been placed on them by the U.S. government removed. And those, I would argue, are the lowest levels uh, in Dante's Inferno. And uh, to my mind, that's what makes this, this new case uh, that has broken so troubling. So we have a four-star general who's retired, who's now yeah. being allegedly investigated by the FBI because he's been cultivated potentially as an asset by the government of Qatar, which we talked about. We could, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about what's the correct pronunciation of this <laughs> word. I'll say Qatar. If you'd like to say Qatar, if you'd like to say gutter, you know, feel free. Um, right. But the General John Allen, and it's interesting because this is not 
new for the government of Qatar. Qatar, they've they've had some allegations before, specifically dealing with a different think tank, the Brookings Institute. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a fascinating case. Uh, so Qatar has been isolated for quite some time, um, and the problem, mm, you know, is a pretty serious one, which is uh, that they have been uh, alleged by the U.S. government and a lot of other governments in the Middle East and in Europe uh, as basically being friendly to terrorist organizations. They've funded Hamas. Uh, there are allegations that they allowed members of ISIS and other terrorist groups to travel in and out of the country of their own free will and volition, unmolested by Qatar. Uh, these are very serious allegations. And what's interesting about this case is you have General John Allen, a retired four-star Marine Corps general, who in the 2016 campaign was an advisor to Hillary Clinton, uh, who then later becomes the president of the Brookings Institution. Uh, And for those who aren't familiar with Brookings, Brookings is really the oldest uh, well-known established think tank in D.C. It's sort of a center-left think tank. It used to be more of a centrist think tank. But Brookings has its own history with Qatar, which is now coming to the forefront. Uh, And that is that they have taken more than $10 million in donations from the government of Qatar, uh, and they were supposed to be doing studies and research and sort of think tank activity on issues related to the Middle East. So you've got General Allen becoming president of Brookings. Brookings has this history of involvement with Qatar. And here's the problem why the feds are looking at this, Eric. There's lots of evidence that General Allen, in his capacity as president of bookings, but also as a former Marine Corps general, was meeting with government officials, Mm. never disclosed that he was actually tied to the government, that the government was giving to this think tank, that he was doing business deals with them. And now the Department of Justice is investigating him on the grounds that he violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And that's part of a larger trend that actually, for once, DOJ appears to be getting something right and they appear to be taking allegations or instances of this case much more seriously recently as opposed to historically what had been the precedent. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that. But I guess I'm interested for you is why does it matter, right? Like, why does it matter that somebody is lobbying on behalf of a foreign government without actually registering as a fair agent or as a foreign agent? And how is it different than any other type of lobbying that occurs? Well, it's a great question. Well, first of all, you know, this was a major concern from the founding of our country about foreign influence, the pernicious foreign influence, the efforts of foreign governments to co-opt our leaders. So this has been a concern from the beginning because we are an open country. We are a democratic republic uh, and people are allowed to petition the government and representatives base decisions on what they're hearing. Now, in General Allen's case, what's particularly interesting is uh, we know, for example, in 2017, he went and met with H.R. McMaster, who was in the White House, the Trump White House, the National Security Advisor. Uh, And what's interesting here is by 2017, Qatar is really in deep trouble because Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and all severed their ties with Qatar because of their ties to terrorism uh, and because the regime was funding Hamas. And the Trump administration's position was basically the Egyptians and the Saudis are right. Yeah. So General Allen goes and, and, and meets by the with, way, if, if Saudi Arabia says you have a terrorism problem, you really have a terrorism problem. <laughs> right. Exactly right. 
they know what a terrorism problem looks like. <laughs> so, so, but you're exactly right. And, and, you know, here's the problem. So General Allen goes and meets with H.R. McMaster talking about Middle East issues. It turns out, according to H.R. McMaster, General Allen never explained or never said that he was actually doing business deals and that he had this financial tie or this commercial tie right. with this foreign government. And that's the problem. You were required to disclose that because H.R. McMaster was meeting with him, the general, as a colleague, as yeah. a former military officer. And he assumed that he was spending time and talking to him about these issues because he was speaking out of general concern and he was misrepresenting himself. That violates this law. And to me, this law is vitally important. Let's be clear. The general could go meet with H.R. McMaster. H.R. McMaster can meet with him, but the government official should know that this individual is actually tied to financially a foreign government. That needs to be disclosed and out in the open, and it was not. And you've been um, clever and smart and I think on the forefront of this issue because you pointed out specifically with Brookings how Cutter has been paying and been financing Brookings for some time. And then what happens is Brookings, because they're an established D.C. think tank, they have people that testify at congressional hearings about things like foreign policy, right? And so they might be advocating for things that potentially are beneficial to the government of Qatar and without disclosing the fact that, oh, by the way, we're actually on the Qatari dime here. And so another way which they're sort of soft-shoeing or soft-selling an effort to influence foreign policy. That's right. I mean, Brookings Institution, you were talking earlier about golf. You could say Brookings Institution is the Phil Mickelson of think tanks, right? What Phil I like Mickelson. is this pause. I, what I like is you pause because you wanted some recognition for you playing off the <laughs> before. Like you heard it, right? <laughs> Phil Mickelson, everybody. <laughs> well, and I was going to take it a step further and point out that Phil Mickelson is a lefty after all, right? Oh. And you got the booking. So, no, but to, to your point, I mean, why did the Saudis want Phil Mickelson? Why was he presumably paid, I think, some $200 million? Because he has a massive Mickelson. gambling problem and he has a, he needed the money. <laughs> well, that, that may be part of it. The other yeah. part of it is he's a hugely recognized brand, even yeah. among people that don't necessarily follow the ins and outs of golf. Huge brand. Same thing with the Brookings Institution. There's a reason that the government of Qatar uh, wanted to partner with Brookings. It is the most established, the oldest uh, of the think tanks. And so they landed something really big here. So this is an example of how uh, this washing, uh, as you talked about earlier, takes place. And if there's good news, right, um, it is that, as you noted, it is at least this is something that DOJ and the federal officials are paying attention to. And that hasn't always been the case. This is wild. I think we've actually mentioned this stat in a previous podcast because we've talked about foreign agents because, as we'll discuss shortly, like Hunter Biden and other famous brands, to use your metaphor, have been caught up in this and they are cultivated by foreign governments for a reason. But between 1966 and 2015, so that's like 50 years, there were only seven cases of foreign agents not registering or fair violations brought by DOJ. And two of those- now, you're, you're, And you're suggesting that's because uh, because they were overlooking the law, not that there weren't people representing foreign governments, oh, correct? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. It's just the point. Yeah. It was not on the radar. It was not something that DOJ paid attention to. It wasn't something they did. So um, seven cases in the from 50 years from 66 to 2015. In the last since 2017, they've already gotten more than twice as many guilty verdicts. They got 10 
guilty verdicts. And so um, obviously this is something they're paying a lot more attention to. And in an audit that actually I think maybe have led to this, it, they did it said 62% of the people that do register to say, okay, no, I am actually representing a foreign government. They were late. And so they filed sort of just as like, hey, man, uh, I, get, I don't want to go to prison for this. So I will disclose that in fact, I am taking foreign cash. So yeah. why, I guess the question is, why do you think the federal government has all of a sudden started paying attention to this? Well, it's a good question. There may be a number of reasons. There were a couple of really high profile cases uh, that happened at the beginning of the Trump administration. One of them was Paul Manafort, right? Yep. He was the mm-hmm. campaign uh, manager for the uh, for the Trump campaign. Uh, and uh, he had a long history of representing foreign governments. If I remember correctly, I think in the 1980s, he represented the government of Zimbabwe, which was one of the worst human rights violators. I mean, the fact that Zimbabwe could even get somebody to represent them in Washington both reflects the culture of Washington and I would argue the ethics of Paul Manafort. Uh, But they went after him because he was representing the Ukrainian government or elements of the Ukrainian government uh, and had not registered as a foreign agent. And I think that was a trigger. So it's interesting to me, this consensus that had existed for so long that both sides were cashing in representing foreign governments, it basically broke down because I think that that you know congressional Democrats decided Manafort's a guy that we can get. And our, I would arguably rightfully so were correct in getting. You also had uh, General Mike Flynn, uh, who uh, resigned as Trump's national security advisor. He actually was doing work um, for a Turkish businessman who was the chairman of the Turkey-U.S. Business Council. Oh, is that uh, not okay? Was, you, you can't be uh, you can't be a national security advisor it's, and it's, taking it's, money from a foreign government. Well, yeah, he was. So he was doing that before he was national security advisor. But to your point, he didn't register as a federal as a foreign agent. Yeah. He re- later refiled his paperwork, acknowledging that in fact the Turkish government could have benefited from his work. So. These were the first triggers. Um, And then you've had a series of cases that have followed that. You have Tony Podesta, of course, uh, John Podesta's uh, brother, uh, John Podesta, the former campaign uh, chairman of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Tony Podesta, a longtime Democratic uh, uh, lobbyist uh, who actually did work with Paul Manafort on Ukraine. But the concerns that I've expressed about this, Eric, is I'm glad for this new vigor is I am just fearful that it is being used selectively. It's only being used against certain political people, namely Trump supporting Republicans. Don't get me wrong. Those individuals, if they violated the law, they should be charged. But the concern is what really happened to Tony Podesta when it comes to FARA or the Foreign Agents Registration Act? Not much. What's happened to Hunter Biden, who was clearly taking foreign money and clearly, based on his own testimony and his emails, doing representative works for foreign governments that would fall under this statute? Nothing thus far has happened to Hunter Biden. So to me, we need to enforce it. We need to enforce the letter of the law and not just enforce it against certain political uh, uh, figures. But to your point, that actually may be one of the things that comes out as a charge against Hunter Biden, right? I mean, that's one of the things potentially on the table. There's the tax evasion, but there's also, hey, if you were taking money from Burisma and according, again, to the communications that we've seen on his laptop and in the various email accounts that we have access to, he's communicating some basically foreign government business, official business. He's advocating for policies on behalf of the Ukrainian government to his father, 
who yes. as vice president was also, I think, point for Ukrainian policy. I mean, that's the very definition of a fair violation, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, I think what's also interesting there is that Hunter Biden, in some of the emails, that issue comes up. People say, hey, we're going to do this. Should we file under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? And it never gets answered. And of course, you look at the records, they never filed. That's what I think is interesting to me about this General Allen case, because he is sort of the one of the pinnacles of the D.C. establishment. All right, Mike Flynn, when he was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, ruffled a lot of feathers. He was critical of the intelligence community. I would argue rightfully so. He was a little bit of an outsider. Paul Manafort, a longtime lobbyist, he wasn't at what you would call at the center of, of the D.C. political establishment. So it's very easy to think, well, are they only picking off these outsiders? General Allen, former four-star general, head of the Brickings Institution, which is the establishment's think tank, if he is under the gun, that's an indication to me that they're getting very serious about this. And that's very encouraging to me. And the fact that they are getting serious has actually sort of caused a lot of other people who've done work for foreign government, whether or not they're actually operating as a foreign agent, to have to disclose things. You may have seen the headline that Ron DeSantis' spokesperson, Christina Pushaw, she recently filed to disclose that she did work for the Georgian president, Georgia the country, not the state, between <laughs> right. 2018 and 2020. And, you know, she was living there. She's doing work, I think, on behalf of their elections, according to her disclosure. So that's a little bit different than something that's like the exact example of General Allen or Hunter Biden, who's maybe advocating on behalf of foreign government here in the United States. But that's another example that you might have seen in the news of potential fair violation. And then you wrote in your book, which it's been at least 15 minutes since you mentioned, Runaway blockbuster, number one bestseller. <laughs> Peter Schwartz, it's, it's actually in my contract. I have to mention anytime we talk about Schwartz's book. But you talked about guys like Henry Kissinger or Condoleezza Rice or Max Baucus or Madeleine Albright. So th- what's different between being a registered foreign agent and the things that these guys are doing? Uh, great question. So yeah, you raise an important point here, which is when you're talking about foreign representation, what are you talking about and what is the scale? So in the case of Rhonda Sands' spokeswoman, Christina Peshaw, Uh, She received $25,000 over two years, uh, and these were uh, work that she was doing for uh, Shakashvili, the former president of Georgia, who is now ironically a Ukrainian politician. Uh, And this was to write op-eds to advocate. I'm glad that she registered. I'm glad that the Department of Justice sent her a notice saying you need to register under this. Those are the types of cases that you're obviously far less concerned with. Then you have the issue of the sort of gray area, right? Um, as I wrote it, noted in Red Handed, you've got people like Henry Kissinger, uh, the late Madeleine Albright, the Secretary of State under Bill Clinton, uh, and other foreign officials, including U.S. ambassadors, that are doing representative work. Now, Henry Kissinger, I have to say, he's very clever about this. So he runs a foreign influence uh, type consultancy. That's different because what he will say, and he can say this with a straight face, he does not represent foreign clients. He represents American businesses overseas. Mm -hmm. But the work that he does is he needs to maintain good relationships with the government of China because American companies hire him to advocate on their behalf in front of the Chinese government. So that gives, of course, the foreign government leverage over Henry Kissinger. 
But if you look at some of the others, uh, Max Baucus, the uh, ambassador to China under Barack Obama, or his predecessor under Obama, Gary Locke, they absolutely have worked for foreign Chinese companies in the United States, uh, and they should be and are not, in my mind, registering as foreign agents. Uh, And that is a violation of the statute. And is that partly due to the nature of the Chinese government or the government like China's, right, or like Saudi Arabia, where it's difficult to separate the government political operation from the businesses because so many things are state run? It's not like BMW, right? It's a German-owned company, but they generally operate autonomously from the German government. And you don't think that you can say that kind of thing about companies that are based out of China. Well, that's right. Now, it's interesting when you look at this statute, the Foreign Agents Registration Act that we're talking about, it was passed in the 1930s. And it's it's doesn't just limit it to foreign governments. It listen, list, it it extends it to foreign entities, which include foreign companies. What will be argued by Bacchus or by Gary Locke is that they uh, may be working for Chinese companies, but they're working for the U.S. based affiliate. Mm. of a Chinese company. As far as I'm concerned, that's a distinction without a difference. Just because they set up shop in the United States and just because they you know, create a separate corporation that they wholly control, in my mind, you are still absolutely working for a foreign client. And these are the kind of games that get played in Washington, D.C. Uh, that I think we need to call them out on. And I think that the Department of Justice needs to sort of what they call pierce the corporate veil. In other words, they need to investigate this and charge them because these are not independent companies. These are companies that are basically the puppets of, in this case, Chinese-based corporations that wholly own these American companies. Well, there's good news then as a way to sort of uh, close on a positive note, because we always like to try to leave people feeling a little bit better about the world yeah. that they live in. No, that's not yes. true. This, this podcast <laughs> is cynical as anything, right? But, but in this case, there's some positive news, which is that even despite the fact that the current president's son might be guilty of violating uh, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, that the Department of Justice under the Biden administration seems to be continuing the work and effort that began conceptually under the Trump administration, which is, hey, we're taking this seriously. We're paying attention. Yeah. I mean, look, this book, this uh, law has been on the book since the 1930s. Uh, I don't know anybody in Washington in an official capacity that would publicly come out and say, repeal the law. We don't need it. Everybody pays lip service to it. The question is, Eric, it's like laws in general. Laws only matter if you're prepared to actually go after the big fish. You know, right now there's a lot of talk on Twitter and in social media because Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was charged with DUI in California. I noted that and, little. And by the way, having recently been to Napa and spoken with some Napa police officers, they're not real aggressive. <laughs> they're not setting up a lot of speed traps out of right. old uh, Napa. Like they know how their bread's buttered, so to speak. So if my man yeah, Paul it, got nipped, like it was a serious deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was actually a car accident. Supposedly, if the news accounts are right, he was in the middle of a sec- an intersection. He had hit another car. Uh, but the bottom line is this. Is he going to get the same penalty right. that you and I would or uh, a plumber or a field worker that's working in these Napa Valley vineyards? If they did the same thing, is Paul Pelosi going to be treated the same way by the criminal justice system than if we had done the same thing. And you have to apply that same standard to Farah. 
if you're going to go after uh, somebody who is an easy target, like Paul Manafort, uh, who is working uh, for, let's say, some really uh, nasty clients, but also was politically unpopular uh, in official Washington because he was helping to run Donald Trump's campaign for a while. If you're going to go after him, you have to go after the establishment's guy, a guy like General Allen, and you have to apply the same standard. And if you're not prepared to do that, this is the reason why distrust of America's political institutions is so low in this country today. I'm convinced it's not just because government doesn't work all the time or because taxes are too high. It's because they see a two-tiered system of justice in this country. And as far as FARA has been concerned, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, we're going to know here within the next six months whether they're going to apply this law equally or not. So last question for me, do you feel like that the uptick in prosecution is because A, DOJ is taking it more seriously or B, because as you've noted, you feel like the Bidens represent this larger trend. And we've talked about this like as GAIs evolved over the 10 years we've existed. Um, we've seen what we think political corruption looks like evolve over, hey, it's not just like keeping cash in a freezer. It's not just insider trading in Congress or, you know, taking a campaign contribution and giving somebody a contract. But you've called it the globalization of corruption, the outsourcing uh, via there's a lot more international money finding its way into the, the pockets of the families, at least of public officials. So do you feel like the uptick is actually just because it's happening a lot more? Yes, I do think it's happening a lot more because corruption has been globalized. And yes, I do think I'm an optimist. I do think that the Department of Justice is finally actually starting to enforce this law. So I think the law is good. I think it needs to be enhanced. We at GAI have always advocated for greater disclosures. Mm -hmm. uh, you make a really important point, um, which is about the fact that a lot of this corruption gets funneled through family members. Uh, some of the most successful lobbyists in Washington, D.C. are the children of politicians. Hunter Biden was getting tens of millions of dollars from foreign entities. Why? Because his father was vice president and was expected to maybe someday be president of the United States. So we should require the disclosure of immediate family members of any American politician or government executive whose immediate family member is receiving funds from a foreign government or foreign government-backed entity. So we at least know what the Hunter Bidens of the world are doing, whether they're connected to Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and I know Republicans in the uh, House have actually introduced legislation pushing for this kind of reform, which I think is excellent and long overdue. Eric, your final thoughts on the Foreign Agents Registration Act or the golf season, what, whatever you'd like to close with. Whatever I'd like to close with. I guess <laughs> I would just point out, but it is a real trend. It is interesting because you, we talked about Cutter and how Cutter's hired uh, this general and you know they're laundering their reputation through the Brookings Institution. I'd also just point out you're a soccer fan. I'm a soccer fan. Uh, the World Cup will be happening in November for the first yes. time and not this summer. Why? Because it's happening in Qatar. And the reason why they're having it in November is because it's way too hot in Qatar to have uh, a soccer game played outside in the summertime. And so it just speaks to like, this is how effective the government of Qatar has been, right? Like they've been able to launder reputation. I mean, look, Saudi Arabia says, hey man, we're not going to do business with you because like you have a terrorism problem. The international soccer community says, bro, here's a world cup. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, that, like that just speaks to how effective the, the foreign outreach has been. And obviously U.S. officials are not immune to it. 
Yeah, no, you're exactly right. A lot of money sloshing around. Uh, Qatar has a lot of money because of the oil and energy business. uh, And unfortunately, they are quite effective in passing it around. Well, you've listened to another episode of The Drill Down. As always, uh, I I enjoy my conversation with Eric Eggers. Uh, If you want to hear more of our conversations, you can go to thedrilldown.com and you can find our podcasts everywhere. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, thank you. Thank you.